You are listening to Kayo Conversations, a podcast about anything and everything that matters to Kayo Megas. joining us. I'm Leslie Harrington, CEO for Kayomega, and we are joined today by Tanya Clement, a 1982 initiate of Chi Zeta chapter at Colorado State University, who was very recently selected by the SH to serve as the 2022 Kayomega Firesides Leadership Training keynote speaker. Tanya is the 20th U.S. woman to have ever climbed Mount Everest and the fifth American woman to have reached the summit by the treacherous North Ridge. Tanya actually hails from both Chi Zeta and Zeta chapter at the University of Colorado, where she transferred in 1983. She grew up a city girl in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and did not discover camping or climbing until her late 30s. However, upon finding this newfound passion for the mountains, she became consumed by the joy associated with traveling into the unknown. Professionally, Tanya's background includes many years scaling the ivory towers of Fortune 500 companies, where she found herself gravitating towards roles that allowed her to teach leadership, team building, and performance development. Presently, Tanya is the president for Cardinal Peak Technologies, the gold standard for interview room recording solutions. Her biggest customers, just the FBI and the Army. She resides in Boulder, Colorado with her husband, Brad, her three dogs, Hoover, Giorgio, and Cumbrae, which means summit, and her cat, Waffles. We know that the Chiomega Symphony really has always resonated with Tanya, and we consider her to be the epitome of what it means to be discouraged neverest. So Sister Tanya, thank you for agreeing to speak with Kaimega for a second time. We are grateful to have any of your non-mountain hours as we know they are very limited. Thank you, Leslie. I'm excited to be here talking to you. Well, when you spoke at our virtual Firesides Leadership Training in January, our over 3,000 officers and advisors that were in attendance that day fired up our Q&A with all kinds of follow-up questions, anything from how did you go to the bathroom to what did you eat? It occurred to us right then and there that there was much more to your story that our listeners needed to hear. So to bring everyone else up to speed, we're going to run a quick highlight reel of some of Tanya's keynote remarks from Firesides. Most people believe that Everest is a static, beautiful formation and that it's sunny and pretty, but it's anything but that. As this slide shows, this is more typical of the terrain when you step onto an 8,000 meter peak. This is what a day usually looks like climbing the mountain. Some people think Everest is a beautiful goddess. Um, personally, I've been here enough times to know it's a big, harsh, cold chunk of rock that uh, doesn't listen to anybody. You've got to pick your time, you've got to be careful, you've got to work out all the details, and then you have a chance of coming back. There are times when you can't even see two feet in front of you, and if you think about that, that's what it's like in real life sometimes. When you find yourself stepping into the unknown and you really don't know what lies ahead or what's around the corner. In the mountains, when you find yourself in this type of condition, you just really have to pick yourself up and put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving forward. It can take a full day to travel 100 yards in the mountains. 
And now I'm going to share a video of the footage of our actual team on the mountain in 65 mile an hour winds. It was a team of all men. I was the only girl. And yes, I did not know anyone on this team. So what did I do? I called everyone I knew. It was a good thing I was from Boulder, Colorado, because there are a lot of people in Boulder, Colorado that have either climbed Mount Everest or have been very close and done other 8,000 meter peaks. And I asked them for their advice. How do I do this? What's this going to be like? And Pretty much they all had the same message. They said, Tanya, don't be the girl. So let's face it, I was the girl, but I didn't want to be the girl, right? I wanted to pull my own weight. So what did I do? I'll tell you, I cut my nails and I put my big girl pants on, but that's not all I did. <laughs> I hired what I thought at the time was the world's best trainer. This is Chris Morris in an airport climbing on a poster of Eric Weinmeyer. Chris took Eric to the top of Mount Everest years before my trip was going. And I figured if he could get a blind man up it, he could certainly train me and get me ready. But there was only two months. So he said to me, Tanya, I think the best thing you can do is gain some weight. At the time, I was a mere 96 pounds. So he said, I want you to eat all of the macaroni and cheese, cheesecake, and of course, Hagen dazs ice cream that you can do because I want you to put on 20 pounds. Now, sisters, tell me what girl wouldn't want to have a trainer pay a trainer money to tell her to eat more Hagen dazs I loved it. But what was most disturbing about this trek from base camp to advanced base camp was the fact that we were running in to other climbers that were coming down. Many of those climbers were having difficulty. And as this slide depicts, we ran into a climber. It was actually a Korean climber being carried off the mountain. And a closer look will reveal that this climber is unconscious and is on oxygen. The climber behind is actually carrying the oxygen tank. We learned a few days later that this climber had cerebral edema and unfortunately perished a couple days after he got off the mountain. And this wasn't uncommon. The total path to the summit had a stepping over people that were injured or people that had died in previous years. It's really not feasible to move a dead body off the mountain. And I only bring this up not to be morbid, but I wanted you to know that seeing this loss of life definitely, definitely weighed heavily on my heart and in our heads. But we forged on, we kept going. You have a lot of days to just kind of hang out and get things organized. You do a lot of sleeping, but for me, it was a very difficult place to be because the other teams start coming around. People are getting bored. They want to talk to other climbers. But people were coming up to me and they were saying, are you the, the base camp cook? Are, are you the medic? Is your husband or is your boyfriend climbing the mountain? And I have to tell you, that was difficult for me to hear that. It triggered that little voice in my head once again that starts the questions, do I belong here? Am I too old? Am I strong enough? Should I go home? Will that wind up there blow me off the mountain? 
And then I'm thinking I'm 18 miles from the last camp and cars are three or four days away. If they had to come get me, I'm really out here. And I only have what we carried on our backs. You're going to see a climber reaching the top of the ladder. You're going to see a climbers approaching the summit. That was from the Nepal side. You'll see one climber walking very quickly. That's not a climber. That's a Sherpa. They're superhumans. <laughs> and then you're going to see Brad topping out. You're going to see one of our Israeli climbers, Dudu, getting on top. You're going to know it's me when you see me because I'm the one wearing the pink goggles and wiping the snot from my nose. And it'll close with our lead Sherpa holding up the banners and giving kudos to our sponsors, mainly to Panasonic. He says, I love peace and I love Panasonic. So enjoy this. this when we as Kayo say discourage never or in my case I'm going to say it discourage neverest <laughs> I can't help but think of a phrase from the Kayo Omega Symphony that course which occasion and conscience demand three invitations charted my course in life the first was my invitation to join Kayo Omega the second was my invitation to become the VP of sales for that climbing company that took me to the trade show in Utah, where I received my third and final and most important invitation to climb Mount Everest. So just remember, nothing, nothing happens to you by accident. It's on purpose. We are all sisters on purpose, and we all have a mountain to climb. So Tanya, your team consisted of all men. You were the only woman. Tell us how you were invited to join the group. 
Well, initially, there was a woman on the team that was pre-selected before me, but she ended up getting pregnant and was not able to make the trip. So I was a last-minute addition, and the need was precipitated by the fact that the major sponsor at the time, which was Panasonic, did not believe it was a diverse team if they did not have a woman. So mm -hmm. when she removed herself from the team, it was pretty mandatory that they go out and find somebody. And that's how I got the invitation. Well, I'm so glad they extended it to you. Now, I also know your team had a specific purposes or purpose, excuse me, related to diversity. And there was even a documentary made about it called A Climb for Peace. Tell us about the international purpose of the mission. Okay, yes, the, um, the, uh, the purpose was really to show that people from very diverse backgrounds and interest and cultures could come together for a common goal and achieve greatness. So the goal was to put an Israeli and a Palestinian who at the time, those countries, even today, were, were fighting and in conflict and show that they could come together for a common good. And they, they really put an effort into making sure not only were there men and women, but there were people from Christians to atheists, every walk of life. They wanted to get a well-rounded representation. And I think they achieved it. <laughs> I think so. Judging from that video and all of your remarks. Uh, now, how long, how long were you on the mountain in total? And, and what is the mountain wardrobe? I just have to know. <laughs> yes, of course, we have to know that one. So a typical climb of Mount Everest can last anywhere from 60 to 75 days. Ours was shortened a little bit. We, my total time on the mountain was 45 days. And that's just because that's how the sun, the moon and the stars align themselves for our trip. When the weather window happens, you got to be ready to go. And it was a little bit early for us. And that played to my advantage because I think 60 days would have worn me out. The average man yeah. can lose as much as 30 pounds on the mountain and a woman can lose a lot too. Although I wish we lost more. We hold our weight a little bit better than the men do. We, we're not as likely to give it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I, I think that to be true and I'm not a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> but the wardrobe, the wardrobe changes daily. Um, it, just based on the conditions of the mountain, it's, it's not pretty. It's a lot of heavy, bulky clothing, but the key is layering up. You know, you, the more layers you have, the warmer you're going to be. Uh, I think everyone's probably seen the 8,000 meter Michelin man down suit that <laughs> blows you up like the doughboy. So we all have one of those, but you're really only wearing that for a couple days when you're totally going for the summit, when you're at the top of the mountain. Other than that, it's typical mountaineering clothes clothing, excuse me. Uh, it's, it's typically something like layers of polypropylene, down jackets, vest, long underwear, big warm gloves. It's not your everyday gloves. They're, they're really made to survive those extreme environments. But the technology's there and the clothing's quite comfortable. There's days when you're very warm, almost so warm you got to shed some layers. <laughs> well, that's interesting. And I had no idea that you would lose that much weight climbing a mountain, but I don't know that that's the diet I would recommend. <laughs> it is it's strange it's um you're, you're working so hard it just melts off the pounds on a guy but women i think because we're designed to be childbearing and keep our weight on so that you can carry and birth a child i think we we tend to retain it so i lost about i gained 12 pounds before i went and i lost those 12 pounds on the mountain but my fellow teammates the men 
I, I don't think we had a man lose anything uh, less than 20 pounds. It was from 20 to 30 pounds. Wow. I bet that changed their appearance quite a bit when they got home. It, it does. It does. We had one gentleman on the team. He was from South Africa and he looked like a South African runner that would show up on the starting line to win the New York City Marathon. So he was thin to begin with and he really looked thin when he left. Well, with, with all the um, interesting wardrobe, wardrobe choices, uh, I can imagine you're not necessarily taking a lot of selfies or feeling super cute at all. Uh, so tell our listeners about the unexpected romantic encounter you had on the mountain. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. The, uh, my little uh, fairy tale, so to speak. The, um, you go to a mountain to climb a mountain. You're not thinking about meeting a man or anything like that, right? You're there with one purpose to get yourself safely up and safely down. But there happened to be one other American on the team, and that was the filmmaker who was doing the production and filming all of us because in the end there was a DVD, like you mentioned, the Everest Peace Project. And he was from Missouri and I was from Oklahoma. When I met him, there was no love at first sight. But over the course of the time we spent together on the mountain, I gained this tremendous respect for him, the way he handled adversity, difficulty, challenges, the way he was treating other people on the team. He had been there before. Mm. So it's safe to say I sort of gravitated to him because he knew what he was doing. But through that sure. process, yeah, I kind of... I kind of fell for him. <laughs> yes. Well, you um, you shared uh, also during Firesides uh, kind of the, the flip side of the love story was that it was really challenging to see climbers being carried down from the mountain unconscious or even sometimes stepping over climbers that had perished along the way. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how the conditions affected your health, the health of your teammates and and how did you remain discouraged in Everest that whole time? Yeah, that's a great question because it is hard. It uh, That year, that particular year that I climbed it, there there were, I let's see, there were 12 deaths on the mountain. And what hmm. happens, you spend all that time at base camp and you meet everybody that's there to climb. So it's personal. When someone perishes, you have either had tea with them or spent a day hiking with them or they sat in your mess tent and talked to you. So it's a painful process. And there's highs and lows like anything in life. It affected everyone differently when there would be a loss. And, you know, you can do the rationalization. They died doing what they love. But then there's the flip side of that. No one deserves to die, right? It just, it just yeah. happens. So I think it's one of those things that, you know, you just pick up and you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, but it is sad and you need time to mourn with it, but it does happen there. It happens every year there. I don't think there's a year that people don't climb that mountain that someone does not fall to their death. And I can imagine what a reminder that is that you have family at home and that this mountain is dangerous and quite a challenge. And so the tricks that can do on your mind, I, I imagine, are, are pretty significant. Absolutely. I, I always tell people there's that little voice that tries to talk you out of it. It's that little voice saying to you, are you strong enough? Do you belong here? Did you make a stupid decision? Do you just want to go home and put on your PJs and play with your, your dogs, right? 
Yeah. And um, you, you battle that every day. Every day, there's something telling you this is not right. But you just have to also adopt the philosophy that just do it and you can always turn around. If it gets too hard, you can always turn around. And most days it just gets better once you start going. It's that first step out of the tent when it's really cold outside or, or when someone has just passed. You're, you're like, oh no, should I do it? Is, or is this time to go home? And more often than not, you get success. You just keep going. Well, I have never climbed a mountain, but I know that to be true of normal everyday person challenges. You know, you you hear a lot mm -hmm. of voices and you um, there's a lot of noise when you're making big decisions. And I can imagine the analogy between that and between everyday mountains mm -hmm. that we are all climbing. Um, if your journey up the mountain uh, was an action movie and you and Brad are the love story, were there any other subplots or two that maybe you want to share with us that we hadn't heard about yet? Sure, there's so many. Every day there was a story, right? <laughs> there's always something happening. Drama yeah. every single day. Um, you know, if I go to the opposite of the love story, because that to me is the best story, you know, to meet the man of your dreams while you're doing what you love. The flip side would be our own personal teammate, Sally, the gentleman that I actually mentioned that had the body and the build of a long distance runner. Mm -hmm. He did fall on hard times on the mountain. After getting to the summit, he had to be rescued. He could not get down. And mm -hmm. it, it was just the, I, I want to call it the lack of experience a little bit. We look back in hindsight, you can always see where things went wrong, but he was taking his gloves off for his photos when we look back and, and he doesn't have them on. So he ended up getting frostbite. His life was spared. He made it down. But I think this is interesting to tell people when there's a rescue on the mountain and if you have to help one person down, it took 30 people to get him down to safety. Now, wow. my husband and I were not involved in the rescue because we were already down. He summited a couple hours after we did. Okay. But it uh, someone has to carry his pack. A few people have to bring up extra oxygen for him. There's a whole lot of coordination. And so... That was probably the biggest um, thing that sticks in my mind where we had, if you want to really compare the highest high and the lowest low, that would be the lowest yeah. low. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, do you uh, keep in touch with your teammates still? We do. It's not frequent. They're all over being in Israel and Palestine and South Africa. It, it's difficult, but we have touched base with them and we do a Zoom periodically. And uh, one gentleman has gone on to have a little baby. Sally is doing great. And we asked him many years after the climb, would you do it again, knowing what you know and what happened to you? And he's like, absolutely. It was the trip of a lifetime. He has no regrets. He might not take his gloves off for the photo, but little <laughs> things like that. And it was more than that. He also did not get enough food and he bonked and he didn't have the energy to get off. But yes, we try to stay in touch. We've always joked that one day we'll have a reunion climb and we'll just make it something lower like Kilimanjaro or something easy. <laughs> oh yeah, casual. Kilimanjaro, casual. something so totally easy. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I'm glad he feels that way because now he has the Everest experience. So he knows about the gloves and all the other rules. 
That's right. And I believe at the time for him, he was the first black South, you know, black South African to stand on the top of the world. So behind okay. every negative, there's always a positive, right? That's right. That is a pretty big feat in and of itself. Yes. Well, Tanya, I'm going to bite. How do you go to the bathroom on Mount Everest? You had to bite, didn't you? <laughs> Actually, it's the number one question. It, it's it's what everybody wants to know. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll answer it a couple of ways, because for most parts, it's like any camping trip. You just find your way and you find your path and you go and there's not a bathroom. You're going most likely in a hole in the ground, right? But I think the real question you're asking is on summit day, what's that like? And that kind of takes us back to the wardrobe. So if I yeah. describe the wardrobe just a little different, if you can imagine for a second, a pair of long underwear, maybe two other layers of pants, and then the big down suit. And on top of that, a harness that's buckled. There is no, <laughs> right. you know, just unzipping your pants and going to the restroom like you might do on a normal camping trip. So what a lot of the men do is they will wear a diaper. Mm. <laughs> and I learned this when I arrived at, at camp. It's a Depends type diaper. I don't think there's any way physically possible for me to just go in my pants. So I was spared the entire summit day. In fact, hours leading up to when we left for the summit and even a few hours after descending from the summit, and that's a big 20 plus hour day, I just didn't need to go. And yeah. it's interesting because your body is burning that up. It's using whatever liquid there is. You, you are in the death zone. Your organs are not functioning properly. There's any food, any power inside you is being consumed by the effort that you're putting forth. So I got lucky, but I do know for a fact that sometimes you just gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's worth it to say that you climb Mount Everest, and uh, I'm so grateful for Depends. I mean, I don't think that they have mountain climbing on as an indicator on their package, but they should. I mean, they really should. This is a useful they should thing. yes. <laughs> well, you told us that you believe that everyone has a mountain to climb, and I really feel that. What mm -hmm. advice do you have for Kaimegas who might be feeling conditions aren't so favorable for climbing their personal mountain on some days? You know, that's such a good question because uh, I do believe that everyone does. It, it's just whatever it is, whether it's changing your career, changing your major, um, learning to live with a injury, whatever it is, we have an Everest. And I think if I've learned anything in all my years, there's just no perfect day. Days are not perfect, just like on the mountain. Those days are rare. Out of those 45 days, we may have had two days that I would call bluebird specials, right? So I think you've just got to not let yourself be dissuaded by your environment. And one of my best climbing buddies always said to me, move in marginal conditions and turn around when you can't go any further. And he said, 99% of the time, once you start moving, it will just get better. It improves. And it does. You get warmer. The sun comes out. The rain quits falling. The snow, you know, stops. It's just going. It's getting started is half the battle. Once you're in motion, an object in motion stays in motion, right? Yeah. <laughs> an object at rest stays at rest. It's just yeah. getting started, taking that first step. Well, baby steps. That's what it's all about. Baby Absolutely.
And the first <laughs> step's always the hardest, right? So just take the first step and odds are it'll keep going for you. It's amazing how applicable this is to real life. I can't believe it. Truly. Well, what truly. else would you, yeah. What else would you like Kai Mega to know about you, Sister Tanya? Oh my goodness. What else would I like everyone to know? I think um, don't be in a rush. <laughs> Life goes by so fast. I think that's it. It's always, for me, I look back, I'd give anything to go back and have my college years again, because um, those were the very best. And I remember when I was in college, I couldn't wait to get out and get on with life. And then you get on with life and what I wouldn't give to go back. <laughs> so don't be in a hurry because it just goes by quickly and do things that you really want to do. And that ties back to meeting my husband. If you do what you love and you follow your passion, the rest just happens. Well, just so everybody is clear, the cute photographer on the mountain did become Tanya's husband, Brad Clement. And uh, I really like, you know, the story that you tell, the way that it relates to everyday life. And it's inspiring to me that you started climbing when you were in your 30s. So that tells us all that, hey, it's never too late to pick up a new hobby, try something new, get outside your comfort zone. Absolutely. It was like you mentioned, I was a city girl. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I had never camped. I hardly went outside if it was snowing and icy and cold. And um, it, you know, you just never know what path you're going to take. So be open to everything. And that's the beauty of life. We have choices. And don't be afraid to try what what is calling you. Because that's where the surprises are. Listen to the voices, not the negative ones, the positive ones, too, that say try something new. Right. Well, well, Tanya, even though your story makes me feel incredibly lazy as a person, you always inspire me to reach higher than what I think is possible. And I'm sure you have for our listeners as well. I hope so. I, I want everyone to go out and find that thing that really makes their heart sing and makes them excited, because if you do that, you will definitely feel successful and you'll find that success and happiness and self-esteem. When you do what you didn't think you could do and you come out on the other side, that's where that confidence comes from. Absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for listening today and stay tuned for more Coyote Conversations coming your way. Also, if you have any podcast ideas or notable podcast guests that you'd like to see or hear from in our next broadcast, let us know. All you have to do is email us at kaiomega at kaiomega.com. And as always, keep an eye on Kaiomega's social media channels so that you can be sure to tune in with us next time. Thank you.